Join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Today I'm reading Matthew 10, 32 through 42. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Um, the thanks be the wait my hair, sorry. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sandy. Uh, we're going to be talking about the risks and rewards of following Jesus. The scripture that we just read is uh, Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff, uh, who is retired pastor now, uh, read in the early service. It's a very difficult passage. Uh, it's probably not one that's preached on a whole lot because today churches tend to want to have people join them. And this is like one long uh, warning at the end of a drug commercial that says this also may cause kidney failure, liver failure, your brain failure. You know, it's, it really is tough talk by Jesus. It really impresses you when you think about it that Jesus would go out and tell people who were thinking about following him, you do realize that this may split your family up. It'll divide brother against brother. And, it, you know, there, there are places in this world still today where this literally happens where people are dragged before courts, where they are imprisoned for years, where they may be executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we read these scriptures and we sort of think, oh, that was for back then. But actually it's for right now. However, what I want to address is is you here in 21st century America, in this culture, in this place, in this system, where is the risk for us? I'm going to tell you right up front the conclusion of the sermon, of my thinking on this. It's that the greatest risk that we have is the lack of persecution may lead us to be complacent, to take 
for granted a relationship with Jesus Christ and to no longer believe that we have challenges. And so we pray to God and thank him for this wonderful place that we live in, for the religious liberties that we have, for the comforts we have and everything, but nobody stops and thinks for a second, but is that really what God has called us to? If we look out in the world, and and, and I think that we as Americans tend to have an island mentality because in a very real sense, if you ignore Canada up above us, which most of us do, but in a very real sense, we're almost an island. You know, Mexico's right below, but you look at how much sea surrounds America. And this has historically been a real factor in our mentality. You know, we stayed out of World War II until finally we were attacked by the Japanese, but that war had been going on a couple of years, and we stayed out of it. Isolationist is the word for that. And I think that we can develop that same mentality as the church and as Christians in 21st century America that we are here, they're over there, never the twain shall meet. We don't have to worry about that. We have to worry about our own. And that's been a common refrain I've heard in churches all my life is we need to take care of the people closest to us. And yet Jesus' great commission is to do what? Go into all the world. And I think that Jesus himself comes from heaven above into our world. He could have just said to the Father, he could have said, nah, why don't I just stay here and take care of the angels? You know, why do I have to go down there? So Jesus took a risk for us. So the question is, how do we approach risk as Christians in our situation? You know, uh, all of us encounter risks every day, and much of the, many of those risks we encounter in a way that we, it, they're kind of habitual. Uh, you don't go and uh, every time you're crossing the street, sit there and inventory the various ways that you, you might encounter some trouble crossing the street. You kind of have a set, predetermined response to that. The whole idea of risk and reward is, is, is huge in behavioral science. What causes some people to take what seem like incredible risks to other people? Why would some people bungee jump off a, a bridge? Why would anybody parachute out of a plane? Lydia always has said she wants to do that, you know, but not me. You know, I, I'm conservative when it comes to some risks. I'm, I'm pretty progressive when it comes to other risks. We're all different. We're all wired differently, so we have different responses. But the fact of the matter is that you can't be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, without being willing to risk. It's just there. You know, uh, I mentioned earlier about my my bee stings yesterday. Uh, Why would I risk being stung by bees? The first question is, why would I be so stupid that I wouldn't have had my smoker out to smoke them before I did it? Because that drives them into the, it, it, it severely lessens the, the risk of being stung if I have my smoker. But uh, why wouldn't I have had the hat on? Why am I such a macho risk taker, you know, that uh, I, in effect, would jump out of the plane without my parachute? So, I, you know, I'm, I just realized, though, I love the honey. But it's more than that. You know, there is reward. The risk is, sting, is the sting, the reward is the honey, but it's more than that. There is such a peace that comes out of being around those bees, which seems ironic. That you can stand there. See, this is a strange time of year. The temperatures and everything change their behavior. But if you're out there on a warm day in the spring, all they care about is nectar. They just want to get to the flowers. They don't even see you. And you can stand right in front of that, that hive, and you can just feel them going back and forth, back and forth. It's, it's glorious. And I'll sometimes go up there at lunchtime and just stand there, 
and feel that 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 peace that comes from that of all things what a place to find peace and also wonder at the fact that these 60,000 or so bees in each of those hives all have these various jobs and ways to do what they're doing and they do it and every time they fly out they're taking a risk they're taking a risk of pesticides being hit by a car you know there's there's all kinds of risks out there but they do it why because the reward is great and that's what the Bible tells us about our call in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ certainly gives us these dire warnings about what may happen, but he also gives us the hope of a great reward. Sports fans, the only reason you go through the misery of following some of these sports teams around here is because there's the hope of the reward. And it outweighs the risks of the depression that comes upon you. And i got to tell you, I'm going to say this, Brian is going to be very angry as a JMU fan that I would even bring this up on the day of his daughter's <laughs> baptism. But I was in anguish last night in bed with my phone watching the ending of the Old Dominion game. And Old Dominion's had a rough season, other than a victory over you-know-who, <laughs> okay, the unnamed team here. They keep finding a way to lose games at the end. And last night, sure enough, they come back, they tie it up with, the, with uh, a minute, uh, well, with 49 seconds left, they tie it up. You think everything's good, but the other team comes down the field, they get in field goal position, a long field goal. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to lose this thing. But the other team misses the field goal. Yay! But ODU had 12 men on the field. Ooh, they get another chance. Move up five yards. They kick again. They miss it. ODU guy takes the ball back 80-some yards. He's going to score a touchdown. We're going to win the game. There's no time on the clock. This is glorious, except he gets tackled out of bounds, except the guy who tackled him got his face mask. Another penalty. You can't end the game on the penalty even if there's no time on the clock, so ODU gets to try a field goal, and they make it. All this took place. There were three, uh, three field goal attempts, three penalties, and at 80-some yard return of a missed field goal all happened in nine seconds on the official clock. Why would I go through this agony and tension and when I really needed to sleep last night? Well, because there's hope. There's hope. And so Jesus gives us the hope. He is the hope in life. Why, why would you go through this life with all of its pains and anguishes and trials and, and, and all the things that people endure in this life if there wasn't some hope? And so the hope is glorious, the reward is glorious, and Jesus says, is the risk worth it to you? Now, there were some people in the Bible who said no. You remember uh, recently, this was uh, in one of the sermons, the, uh, the rich young ruler his story is told in three of the Gospels. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He gets right to the heart of the thing. What must I do to get the reward that you're offering? And Jesus says, because he knows the man's heart, he says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And it says the rich young ruler goes away sorrowful because he had many riches. He was so attached so chained down by his riches that he couldn't take the risk of following Jesus. And then you have, you have other stories. The, the, the story of the talents, which was a, a coin that was worth uh, 20 years' wages for a normal laborer. 
a very valuable coin, and a master comes and gives five of them to one of his servants and five to another and then one to one of his servants. And he says, I'm going away. See what you can do with this. You know, invest it. Do something with it. And when he comes back, the first two have done just that, and they have increased what they had begun with. But the one who only had one talent, he had buried it out of fear that he might lose it. And you might say, well, what's the harm? The master didn't lose anything. He made something off of the other two. He's got, he's got you know, no loss here. And yet he was referred to as a wicked and lazy servant. That's harsh. But it has to be harsh in this parable to get the message through to us that whatever God has given to us, we must risk it for the kingdom. I think that if he had come back and the steward had lost in his investment that one coin, the master would have been fine with that. At least you took the risk. But the greatest penalty in our lives as Christians and as a church is if we don't take risks. And that's tough because a lot of us are not risk takers when it comes to finances, when it comes to uh, uh, taking, going off to another land. I mean, I've, had, I've, you know, I've gone on a lot of mission trips, but, and there's always folks who say, oh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of risky. You know, they're, they're fearful of going to a place like Haiti. I, I had a good friend. He was a security specialist, and when 911 happened, he was one of the people that the government had go up and, uh, and you know, do all the, the study of what had happened, how it can be prevented in the future. And I, we were going to uh, Israel for the first time back in 1998, Lydia and I and our daughter, Didi. And when we uh, were preparing to go, my, my good friend, uh, who, by the way, when I left my farm, he got all my bee equipment. So he was willing, willing to take a risk on bees too, but he was extremely nervous about us going to Israel. It was one of those points where there was some lobbing of missiles back and forth and things were very tense and so he was giving me all kinds of advice on how to walk, how to look, don't do this, don't do that, you know, to minimize the risk. And Charlie ended up, I can't remember how long after it was, some years, he fell off his roof on his farm and he died. You know, we never know, do we, in the daily risks that we take, when something or how something is going to happen. I mean, there's a lot of irony in his death, but he was sincere in his desire to make me safe, but at the same time, I weighed the reward of going to Israel, what I could glean from that, what it would mean spiritually, and what it would mean in terms of my future uh, pastoring to be able to go to that place and to walk in that land and to take the classes I was going to take. I weighed all that and said it was worth the risk. You know, for him, his farm was worth the risk of getting up on his roof. We all take those risks. But Jesus says, you know, all the risks that we take for earthly things, why wouldn't we take them for heaven? Why, why would we exchange these very fleeting gains that we have in this life? Gains and losses, you know, glory and grief. Why would we exchange that? for the promise and the hope that Jesus gives us. You know, why wouldn't we take that and say, I would rather not have this so that I might have that? And that's what Jesus asks. He says, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lose his own soul? 
And to tell you the truth, uh, studies have shown studies have shown that, uh, and this is a fairly recent study, so I think it's still accurate, that in order for a family to be happy and content, this is in their own opinion, they have to have at least $75,000 in income. That that's kind of in the United States, that is the threshold for to be content. But what they found was that when you go over 75000 your happiness decreased. Isn't that amazing? Whereas we are convinced that the more money we have, the happier we will be. Studies have shown that in actuality, there's kind of a threshold where beyond that, it doesn't make you any happier. And in fact, it can make you less happy. And Jesus knew this, and he's saying this to us. He's saying, you know, don't worry about the things of this world that... They're, they're here today and they're gone together. The things where moth and rust has come in and, and corrupt, uh, you know, getting in the King James language there, you know, where, where this is not lasting. Isaiah says that, the, you know, the flowers, uh, you know, the flowers are, will fade and the grass will wither, but the word of the Lord will last forever. So I, I've made my choice in life to say I will risk losing some of the things that this life offers in exchange for God's kingdom. You know, you may not know it, but I would probably be president of the United States by now if I hadn't been a pastor. I was just saying, no, no. But who knows what could have happened? But I just remember at the time when God called me to be a pastor, and it meant big changes, that I didn't have any doubt that the risk was worth the reward. And Lydia and I talked just recently about, and I won't go into detail on it, about a time in our life where we made what might have seemed like to many people a risky, very risky decision, but it altered the lives of our whole family. I probably wouldn't be a pastor if we hadn't made that decision. And so you look back on your life, the times when you took a risk and how it came out. Well, you can do that with all of your decisions in this life, but the one decision that you have to make is whether or not you will take the risk of following Jesus Christ. Will you take that risk? Blaise Pascal, back in the 17th century, a famous uh, philosopher and mathematician uh, upon whom many of our current social sciences uh, have their foundation in his reasoning, but he reasoned out, he was the first person that we know of to really take this approach to say, well, um, if there is a God and I don't believe in him, and I forfeit the eternal rewards in exchange for the temporary rewards here, he's, you know, he said, this doesn't make sense. And he has this whole formula worked out for this whole thing of why he could rationally believe in God and make that choice and take that risk. Jesus Christ is just a little bit blunter. He just says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. And the take up your cross means it isn't going to be easy. But won't it be glorious? And that's your invitation this morning. Make that choice. Take that risk. Reason it out if you want to. But don't let the moment pass you by. The last thing I'll mention this morning is there's an old hymn. I love old hymns. I, I love contemporary music. I love all music. But I love the old hymns because they were the hymns that were sung in the church when I was a kid. And we had a singing church. People loved to sing. 
and I just love the feeling of it. And sometimes the words, you know, or worship the king, you're there like, what in the world does this mean? You know, some of the words may seem strange. But there was a song, we, we don't sing it in the United Methodist Church, and it's based actually on a passage in Acts where somebody says to Paul, almost you have persuaded me. Why don't you come back some more convenient day and we'll talk some more? But that day never happened because Paul was arrested, taken off in chains. So we, we don't know what happened to King Agrippa. We don't know what happened to him in terms of his relationship. But he put that off. And, and, and here's the words to this song that's written around this. It says, almost persuaded now to believe, almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. That, those words have haunted me for years because I realize that today is the day of decision and I can rationalize away the risk of, t- of following Jesus. I can come up with all kinds of reasons not to follow him. But if I focus on the one reason to follow him, that he gives me not only a hope of eternal life but the promise of peace and joy in this life, which I firsthand know, why wouldn't I choose him? Why wouldn't I be persuaded? We're going to sing uh, our hymn in a moment. I just had this one. I thought John Piper summed this up very well. He said, by removing eternal risk, in other words, giving you the one thing that people wonder about is what happens after I die? By removing the risk of eternity, Christ calls his people to continual temporal risk. Folks, If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to always be at risk. But because you're with Christ, it doesn't sound as bad as it sounds. So I invite you to come this morning. If you want to come to the rail and you want to make a decision for Jesus or come and pray to God for renewed strength in your own life, I invite you to do that. Let us pray. Holy Father, as we go forth this morning, we go forth knowing that you, Lord, are Lord of all. And Father, if you are to be Lord of all in our lives, Lord of all that is in our hearts, we have to be willing to surrender. Father, we pray this morning that we would uh, lift our hands uh, in praise of Jesus, that we would shout hallelujah for he has come and died on that cross and risen from the grave and he is coming again. And Father, in all things, may we put you first. May you have the throne in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.